a reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Very early in the morning, when it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So about a year ago, I started mentoring a young man at East Coweta High School, uh, one of the young uh, people in our church who's a teacher. I just posted on Facebook, hey, there's a need for males who are willing to mentor in uh, schools. And uh, when I went to the training, I just asked the question, how many, how many people mentor high schoolers? And the answer is almost nobody. And uh, I love a challenge. And so I said, well, one. I, I'm going to mentor somebody in high school. So they uh, found a young man whose uh, mom wanted me to mentor him. And uh, so we have this little pattern we do now. We meet every week together, and I've been trying to get to know him, and he's like every other teenager. He is thrilled to have a 60-year-old pastor as his mentor. Uh, he, he could not be more excited that I'm the one that showed up. And so uh, he's a little reticent, but uh, we've developed a habit, and we talk with each other. And recently, I bought a deck of cards. It's not really a deck of cards. It's, a, it's really just questions that you have. It's called Questions for Humans, and it's, a, it's not a game, but he and I have turned it into a game where you draw these cards out. They've got questions on them, and then we force each other to just answer whatever the question is on the thing. And uh, early on, uh, he has a really good sense of humor. When I would ask him a question on the card that he wanted to answer, he would always go, say, Ryan Reynolds. And it's become this little bit of a joke for us, that if you have something you don't want to answer, you just go, Ryan Reynolds, and we let it go. So as we're talking one day, the question comes up that he asked me. He says, uh, have you ever broken a bone? And I said, I have. He said, uh, really, how many? I said, well, it depends on how you count. It's either 13 or 10. And then, uh, you know, because I've broken my nose several times and I've broken my wrist twice on one arm. And he goes, what? How? How did that happen? And I said, Ryan Reynolds. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, no, 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 I have to know. How'd you break all those bones? And I said, well, to be honest with you, when I was your age, and it, really since I can remember, I'm the kind of person that I hate people telling me what to do. I just... I've always re rejected, I, authority is tough for me. And for most of my life, you get to a point that if you push against authority enough, you're gonna have to throw hands. And eventually, when you start throwing hands, <laughs> you, you break things, or people break things on you. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, uh, eventually I learned that it, I, could I could learn from people. I didn't have to I didn't have to throw hands and just rebel against all authority. And uh, at that point, he was totally disinterested in my information and was ready to go to another question. But I, I thought about that as I was preparing to talk to you all today because I think to some degree, my experience of being against authority, even for those of you who think you're, you're, you're okay with authority, everybody struggles a little bit to just deal with when somebody tells you what to do. And I think about in terms of, and I'll just give you this illustration. This isn't, it, this isn't poking at anybody particularly in this room, though some of you fit this category. Uh, <laughs> when COVID hit uh, two years ago, uh, we shut down for just a short time, and then we opened back up. And when we opened back up, all the chairs in the room were spread out. Further apart than this, they were, they were spread out. 
And uh, it's what we were told we should do. It's what we wanted to do. We wanted to try to be as safe as we could. And it really wasn't a problem because there weren't that many people coming. <laughs> and so we just spread out. But it wasn't too long that I found out, ho, 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 people did not like the spread out. I had one person in particular tell me, if I can't come and hold my husband's hand and put my arm around his neck, I can't come to church. And I thought, well, that's more information than I need, but okay. And uh, they left. I had another person call me sheep, and a 60-year-old man left the church going, <laughs> okay, all right. Then we got to the point that we uh, went through this thing where, you know, it opened back up a little bit. And as you know, we decided, what I also found during this time is that there were people that loved that we had separated the chairs. I had more than a few people come to me and said, this is the first time I've ever been in church and my, my spouse didn't feel like they could just touch me at any point during the service. <laughs> I am so thankful that they can't reach me. And I thought, also more information that I needed. But so we decided, as you can now see, we have some chairs that are hooked back together and some chairs that are spread apart a little bit. So those of you would want space and those of you want together. Now, here's the fun for me every single Sunday. Used to be I'd have had to throw hands over this, but I don't anymore. I watch as people come in and there are people who come into the sections that are spread apart and they hook them together. <laughs> They move them close together. And people who come into the part intentionally to the part that are hooked together, and they unhook them and move them apart. And I'm like, my people, they're in the room. Now, you, I know some of you are going to want to give me all kinds of reasons of why you have to do what you have to do. I am not interested in your story. I am not. And if you try to tell me, I'm just going to say, I already know the answer. The answer is because we are a rebel race. And even those of you who don't move it, you want to. <laughs> you secretly want to disobey occasionally. Now, what I just described to you is a real problem. And not, not because authority in our world, this idea that a questioning authority, and it happens in relationships. And you, don't, you just don't trust and you find yourself not trusting. And it really happens in relationship with God. You know, there's really only one thing that God's asked out of human beings. You know what it is? He wants you to trust him. He just wants you to trust him. Not, not believe in him like people have told you. Not pray a prayer about him. Not say you think he exists. He wants you to trust him flat out trust him. And every time we don't trust God, well, we mess up relationships and we for sure lose a bit of our relationship with him. It's just the base level thing. In fact, most of us, me included, what we really would like to do is we'd like to believe in God and have him trust us. We want him, we want to believe in him and then tell him our plan and have him trust our plan and get on board. But the challenge is, can I just trust? Or do I have to push against all authority, in, including the authority, God? 
Now, it may surprise some of you, we're, if you're new around here, my, well, this won't surprise you. My name's Ed, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad to have you with us today to be a part of this. And if you're new around here, you came at a great time, because we're starting this series uh, to study through the life of Jesus. Uh, we're looking at the book of, of Mark, and we're going to take that and just read through it all the way through, uh, through Easter. And we're going to talk about it every single Sunday. It might surprise you that the people who hang around with Jesus, even though they say they believe him, including the people who follow him and give up everything to be with him, they find themselves questioning him all the time. They just can't, they just can't fully trust. And what I'm hoping is as we go through this thing of, of looking at the accounts of the life of Jesus, that, uh, those of us on the teaching team, what we're hoping is that those of you who question God who right now maybe you're at a place and you're just here because somebody invited you and you have a hard time just trusting, you don't trust people in general and you don't think it applies to God, it probably does. And I'm hoping by the end of this time that you can get to the place that you believe at the nitty gritty bones of your life that you can trust that he's just right. That he's right about everything. The parts you already believe he's right about and the parts you aren't so sure about. So as you heard read, we're looking at Mark chapter 1 today. And Jesus begins this public ministry of his followers. And we didn't have time to read the whole of that first chapter to you this morning. Uh, but Jesus launches into his public ministry. You just need to get used to the pace of Mark. Mark moves on. He is the ADD gospel. He just gets stuff and he just puts it out there and it's real quick. So Jesus launches his public ministry. It's on a Sabbath. Now, just for those of you who don't know, the Sabbath started on Friday night at, uh, well, uh, at, at sundown and it ended at Sunday night at sundown. So when it says that they're meeting on sa the Sabbath morning, that's Saturday morning. Now, if you don't know why it eventually, it's like our Sunday morning. If you don't know why it changes to Sunday, hang out with us all the way to the end of this I hope you'll get a clue. Uh, I don't have time to tell you today, but buy a clue along the way. So Mark chapter 1, verse 21, here's what it says. They, Jesus and his brand of new followers, went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. So as far as we know, uh, Mark says this is the first time he begins to teach, and he teaches uh, in this teaching ministry in Capernaum. And people are amazed at the way he teach. I mean, he stands up and he teaches, we're later here, as one who has authority, not like them. He's not just quoting. He actually has authority in what he says. But while they're together in the synagogue, this other thing happens. A person who's possessed by a demon begins to speak out in the middle. And Jesus goes over and he casts out the demon. And they're amazed. Jesus not only has teaching that's amazing, Jesus has spiritual authority. He has, he has authority in his teaching. He has authority in his spiritual ability to, to handle the unseen worlds around them. And as a result, in verse 28, it says, news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. It's day one of his public ministry, and already his reputation is viral. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went to James and John, uh, with James and John, to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with fever. They immediately told Jesus about her, so he went to her, took her hand, and he helped her. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. 
Well, now he's just blowing up on Capernaum. Now, if you haven't paid attention, what day is it? It's Saturday. It's the Sabbath. Jesus is doing all this stuff around. They've left the synagogue. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's gone to home probably to rest. The lady's sick, so he heals her. And then in verse 32, that evening, it's now after the Sabbath, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many of the demons, but he wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew who he was. From that moment on, he gets up in the morning on the Sabbath day. He goes to worship. He stands up to teach, cast out a demon, goes home to have something to eat with James, Andrew, and uh, Peter, heals the mom in the place, and when the sun goes down, it's now not the Sabbath. He just heals everybody that comes around him. And when they finally go to sleep that night, I want you to just imagine James, John, Andrew, and Peter, they're now following Jesus. It's day one. <laughs> they have to th think to themselves, if that was day one, what will happen on day two? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. So imagine this from the disciples' perspective. The day before, Jesus' ministry blows up. The next day, Jesus is nowhere to be found. Maybe they don't panic at first, but all of a sudden, people are showing up at Simon's house, asking for the rabbi. They don't have an answer. So they head off to look for Jesus and tell him, everyone is looking for you. Now, many scholars believe there is something a little unique about how Mark uses that phrase, looking for, throughout his book. Mark uses it nine times in his account of Jesus's life. And every time, it has a negative connotation or represents someone who is off track in their search. And we're about to see where the disciples are off track in their search as well. Because when they find Jesus, they deliver the news that everybody's looking for him. And I think it's safe to assume their expectation is that Jesus is going to return to the crowd and go at it for round two. Instead, Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now. I think this is the first instance where the disciples must be questioning what Jesus is doing. Jesus' ministry is brand new. For any company or team or new church, the ones that last and succeed are the ones that in the early days get really clear on who they are and what they prioritize. And so here we are at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And the question is, who makes the call of what the ministry is about? Is it the needs of the people? The call of the crowd? Or is it the mission of God? And this is where the disciples are off in their search. They miss the priority. It's not about what the crowd wants. It's about what God wants. Day one, Jesus does God's mission. He teaches, he heals, he frees people and loves people. And his reputation is growing like wildfire. And it's natural to assume day two will go just like day one. But early, maybe while everyone is asleep, Jesus goes off to pray and seek God's direction for what he should do. And the disciples say to him, where'd you go? Everyone's looking for you. 
We may think the disciples only care about the power and the prestige of the crowds, but maybe not. Maybe on day one, they see in Jesus what many of us have come to see. He's the king. He is the chosen one, the savior. I mean, since they were little boys, they had been told that one day a king would come and he would set their nation free from all oppressors. And on day one, Jesus had shut the mouths of demons and cast them out. Maybe they just want to get him in front of as many people as they can so the crowds can see what they have seen and he can be the king he was meant to be. We don't know their motivation, but here's what we do know. Just a few days ago, they left everything to follow Jesus and they're already trying to tell him what to do. It's only been a few days and already they don't like where he's going. Now, you don't have to be a Christian long for this to sound familiar. Pretty quickly, you start looking for how Jesus is calling you to live and something inside of you says, Jesus, it's 2023. That's not how things work anymore. Let me explain it to you. Been there? See, two things can be true at the same time. One truth is, Jesus is right about everything. And also, Jesus doesn't always do things the way I would do them. In fact, lots of times, Jesus does not do things the way I would do them. And he doesn't even ask my opinion. Following Jesus is living in that tension of, life is better with Jesus, and I'm not sure I wanna do what he says. Depending on your circumstances or personality, it can cause us to question God. And that's where a lot of you are today. If you've got lots of questions, but something is drawing you toward Jesus, I hope you'll stick through the study of Mark because you'll see that the disciples of Jesus these saints and heroes of the faith, that's where they are most of the time. They're drawn to Jesus, but they're also driven by the crowds. I think most of us, when we're honest, we, we really do reject this idea that we follow the crowd, right? See, we don't, we don't want to think that we're followers. We want to be known as independent, strong. Author Mark Sayers notes, he says, it's natural for humans to look to one another for opinions and for reinforcement. Here's what he says. He says, our society has shifted from the vertical authority of God or to those who don't believe in God, the authority of law, to the horizontal authority of the crowd. And even if you're not ready to think that the crowd has any real effect on you, can you at least admit voice of the crowd can get loud sometimes, right? Especially in our world, the world of social media, where the crowd lives in your pocket and it accesses you anywhere you go, anywhere you are and everywhere you go. Most of us know what it is to shift our behavior or our opinions or our thoughts, even in just the tiniest ways, based on what other people have said to us, especially people who are closest to us or whose voices are the loudest. But, see, followers of Jesus, we're not defined or formed by the voices of the crowd. We're formed by the voice of our Heavenly Father. And so this morning, I just want to give you a moment to Spend some time in the quiet and let his voice, the voice of your heavenly father, become louder than all the others. And to drown out any distraction. 
I want you to use uh, this time I'm about to give you to invite God to expose you to the crowds that you're listening to in your life. And ask, are, are these crowds, are, are they leading you towards the love and the gentleness and the patience of Christ? Are, are these voices in your life, are they leading you towards God, really? So you take a, just a minute or so right now. Talk to God about the voices that you are allowing to speak into your life. now would you repent repent of the ways that you have followed the crowd instead of following Jesus would you ask God to lead you towards becoming kind of person who is seeking after his voice above all the other voices in your life take a moment and do that as well Heavenly Father, we repent of the ways in which we have followed the crowd in our world instead of seeking you. Have mercy on us and lead us in your love. And may we be people formed by you so that we can bring you honor and glory in all things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus knew that if the crowd ever became his followers' consistent reference point, I, I just say this to you a different way. If the people that are around you all the time ever become your reference point, your consistent res reference point, you won't ever have any consistency because they're going to change. Jesus is going to interact with crowds a lot. I mean, he spends a lot of time with crowds. And what you'll see, and I just want to challenge you as we read through this together to notice this, that as Jesus interacts with crowds, I mean, you can see him interact with a crowd like this one in Capernaum where they're hungry and they're needy and they're ready and they want, to, they want Jesus to help them. I mean, they're open. Or it could be the crowd where they try to force Jesus to become king and lead a political movement. Feed their multitudes every single day. Or it could be a crowd that gets disgusted by some time where Jesus has a teaching and they all leave. And he says to the disciples, you going too? Or it could be like the crowd that 
celebrates when he enters Jerusalem and says, Hey, you're the king we've long awaited. Hail Jesus. And five days later, the same crowd says, Nail Jesus to the cross. Because the crowd doesn't... I mean, the people around you, they don't have a consistent reference point unless they're following Jesus. And if you live your life that way, Jesus knew you just become like this little boat on the sea, tossed back and forth. You don't ever have any consistency. So Jesus, day two, begins living his life a different way before his disciples. He's been living that way a long time, I have no doubt. But when the disciples come saying to him, everybody is looking for you. Do you remember what they found Jesus doing? What's he doing? He's praying. And that raises a really interesting kind of angle of questioning the authority of Jesus that the disciples get up front. They show up, and they don't even note that we get from Mark any interest in what he's doing. They want to let Jesus know, hey, Jesus, the crowds are ready for you. They have no thought that Jesus is doing anything that matters. They think to themselves, it's almost if they say, hey, the most urgent thing is the crowd back there. I know you're gathering a following. You asked us to follow you. Day one was super good. Now we've got to go on to day two. In the essence, the, the disciples' actions are saying to Jesus, there are more pressing practical things for you to be doing than talking to your Father in heaven. I mean, you can pray anytime. Pray while we're walking. Pray while we're going. Pray while you're with the people. You can do that at any time. Now is not the time to pray. You can pray when the crowds are not around. There are way more practical things to do than prayer, Jesus. Jesus, prayer isn't changing anything. Back in Capernaum, People are saying your name and demons are running away and you're healing people. What you did yesterday was working. Why aren't you back there doing that? There are more important things than you spending time praying. I mean, the most important thing that you have to do right now is help people. Don't you love people, Jesus? Why don't you go help the people? That's what all their actions, all their energy communicates. Now, the reason I've shrugged that out so long is to point out to you that most of us have the same concerns. I mean, when it comes to prayer. When somebody really needs something, when somebody's really sick, uh, I hear, and I say this, unfortunately, I, I find myself wanting to say to them, they say, well, is anything I can do for you? And they'll say, pray. I know, but is there anything I can do? As if prayer isn't doing anything. I mean, like, it's not really doing anything. I mean, you can do that when you're not doing anything. Like, pray, of course. And while we sit here and we act as if we don't listen to the crowd and we'd always pick God's direction over the crowd reaction, I just want to say to you, if the regular rhythm of our life is not spending time with the Father, you will do what all human beings have done forever. We will drift toward the voices that we listen to the most often. If you don't turn, tune your ear to hearing the quiet voice of your Father and what the Spirit wants to say to you, you will not hear it. And in theory, in theory, I think many people in the room would say, prayer is vitally important, but when, but Ed, when the rubber meets the road, when, I mean, when things have to get done, as one coach of mine early on in my ministry said to me, hey, when the concept seems to meet your calendar, you don't ever put the concept on your calendar. 
And when prayer that you think matters to you doesn't ever show up in the way you actually decide to do your daily life, it probably means it doesn't really matter. And Jesus would say, naturally. I mean, Jesus naturally walks around just occasionally saying no to the crowd because there's another voice that really matters to him. And that's the one he listens to. So here's what I want to say to us in 2023. Prayer, prayer is our relationship with God. It's not an invitation only to our relationship with God. Prayer is where we experience the relationship with God. Prayer is our invitation to be with God. And you can be with God at all times. We're encouraged to pray at all times like these things we say. You can do that while you're going along. Of course, that's true. But at some point, you have to get to the place where you allow yourself to get to know the voice of God. I mean, here in the text, Jesus is off praying to start his day. It's a regular part of his life and his ministry. So his disciples, one of the things you're going to notice in, in reading through the Gospels is that his disciples regularly catch him praying. I mean, when they're often looking for him, they catch him doing the same thing. One time they catch Jesus praying, and the disciples have been off trying to do the things that Jesus is doing, like healing people and teaching people and helping people, and they see Jesus praying. And eventually one of them gets the really wise idea to say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Because they notice that Jesus' life has things that naturally flow out of it, like being able to... I mean, casually almost cast out demons. Jesus has love flowing out of him when he's with the crowds. It just sort of naturally flows out of him. People see that help flows out of him. And they notice eventually one of them gets the idea and says, maybe we ought to do what he does. You'll notice they see Jesus teach a lot, but we don't have anybody recording that they said, Jesus, man, you're an incredible teacher. Teach us to teach. They see him lead a lot. They don't ask him... Lord, teach us to lead. They eventually get the idea of what they need to know is, would you teach us to pray? I think in part because the more they were with him, they realized that Jesus' sense of security, his sense of calm in the midst of calamity, Jesus' clarity about what he was doing, came from his connection to the only voice that really mattered, his Father. It was this wellspring of prayer that was this unending source that from his belly supplied everything he needed, the wisdom he needed, the connection he needed, the love that he needed to be with the people. And we need the same thing. We need it. And yet I know, I know, because I've sat there when somebody else is teaching, when somebody teaches about prayer, I know or when I stand up and I encourage people to pray, the most common response that I will hear from people is, man, that was so good. I feel so guilty. I don't pray enough. So one of the things that I want to say to you is before I'm finished today, I want to read a quote to you that I just found in the last year or so. I heard from a preacher that is having more impact on people in the world teaching the Bible in our generation than anybody else. It's a lady named Beth Moore. And Beth said, if all we feel is guilt when we don't spend time with God, we probably misunderstand who is losing. It's not God who is left lacking. It's not God whose day is altered. God is not needy. We are. And because we are needy, 
God invites us to meet him daily, to be our daily bread through prayer, to be the stream of living water that never fails from within. So I want you to remember, if you don't remember anything else, if you heard me say that you don't pray enough, God isn't mad about that. Because God isn't, God isn't needing anything. God isn't the one that's missing out. So there's no guilt. But there's another part of her statement that I want you to hear. God isn't needy. But who is? We are. But you know what the crowd in our country has convinced us? Is you better be strong and independent. You better be able to stand up on your own and survive. You better able, be able to make it. You can't be needy. Not in our world. Not in our culture. You got to be able to get it done. And if I had to admit what has plagued my Christian life in this area of prayer more than anything else is I walk around with this sense for most of my life of, I got this. I mean, I was saying to my sister this week, for so much of my life when I had to have a conversation with my sister, which has not always been an easy thing, I say to myself, I got this. I'll just hang up when I get frustrated. I got this. I got it. But not if I care about having a genuine relationship. I obviously don't got it because we're both in our 60s and we still struggle with relationship. I might need some of the prayer to supply the love that I need. We feel like so many of the things in our lives that we just do every day, we got it, so we don't need any help. I know how to parent, so I don't need any help with that. Only in the really stressful moments like teenage years, I don't got that. But I need some of the rest of it, or only when they decide to marry somebody that's really an idiot. I, don't, I need it then, but I don't need it most of the time. I got this. I've been teaching forever. I know how to do that. I got it. I know how to do my day at school. I've been doing it forever. I know it. I got it. I know what I need to do. I don't, I don't need any help. And because we don't see we need any help, we don't get any help. We miss the interactive life God wants to have with us. This relationship that you hear about that's available with Jesus, that's living and active. He wants to interact in the moments of your day, but because you don't think you need it, you don't ever get it. This is particularly true when it comes today with what we talked about. That when it comes to doing the mission of Jesus, this is particularly true. I'm going to need those lights. They provided the foundation for the ministry of Jesus. His clarity of purpose about what he was doing every day, he needed prayer. And over the last few years in our church, I've been learning with a group of other disciples around here to really get back into this interactive relationship with Jesus that I had at one point, and I don't know why I walked away other than I thought, I got this. When I began to think about this, I think about the prayer that I was taught to pray a couple of years ago that now I pray almost all the time. I've prayed it several times this morning, just even while I was waiting to stand up here. And even when I sat down a minute ago, God, you gave me this opportunity. 
Help me to see what you want me to see and hear what you want me to hear and then say what you want me to say. I pray that prayer hundreds of times a day now. And I'd love to tell you that every single day I have these remarkable stories that go on that where I feel this adventure in life with God, but way more than I have since I was a young Christian, I've experienced it. I'm convinced that in part the major reason I haven't experienced it for the last 20, 30 years is because I walk around confident, wanting everybody to see how confident I am, how capable I am, how I've got everything. So a couple of years ago, I started walking around my neighborhood. I live in a changed neighborhoods. When my kids grew up, we downsized and all that kind of stuff. And now I live in this neighborhood where it's easy to walk. And I decided I'm just going to walk around and pray for my neighbors. And then I found this really cool app I could have on my phone called Bless Every Home that I've told some of you about, that we've told you about. You can download on your phone and through the miracle of all the information we all sell willingly, I can know where all of you live if I want to. And it will tell me the five neighbors that live right around me. And I've asked it to send the 40 neighbors that live around me, and I get five a day, then I pray for them. So I walk around and I pray for five neighbors a day. But it doesn't tell me everybody because I live in a neighborhood of 500 people. 500 homes and so there's some people that I just know as like I'll give you this one story that happened not too long ago there's a lady that walks her dog same time I'm walking around and I just know her as tall lady with dog that's all I know because <laughs> she's one of those people that if you ever try to interact with some of you are this way that you're walking in your dog and a guy like me says hey how you doing and you go not today sir <laughs> not talking to you not looking at you not reacting to you and she's done that to me every day every day every day <laughs> and so I walk by and I just say hey how you doing and then I pray God be with the tall lady with the dog bless her life if there's anything that I can do to help would you help that so another thing you may not know that I often lead prayer for our church on Facebook in the evening me and Jason split the time in the evening 5 30 in the evening we pray online at Facebook and I lead that on my porch well one evening I'm sitting on my porch and I got to tell this quick uh I'm sitting on my porch leading prayer, and tall lady with the dog winds by, and it starts downpouring rain on tall lady with the dog while she's right by my porch, and she stops in the tree underneath, and I'm talking to the people online, and I'm leading them in prayer, and I notice tall lady with the dog under the tree, and I say, y'all, I got to get off prayer because I need to help tall lady with the dog. And I, I said to her, hey, come on my porch. You don't have to stand in the rain. And she walks on the porch, and she says, I'll just stay here for a minute. And I said, that's okay. What's your name? She told me her name. <laughs> I said, what's your dog's name? And she told me. And then I noticed she had a shirt on from Tennessee. And I said, are you from Tennessee? She said, no, I'm from Ohio. I said, that makes no sense. Why do you have that shirt on? She said, I love Pat, Pat Summit, who used to be the basketball coach. And she's a tall lady. I said, did you play basketball? She said, I did. I said, my wife was an all-state basketball player. Boom! We're having a conversation. Now, I don't know how we may, it's just rain. I've been praying for her. And God brings her on my porch. The mission of God is out there, available, and Jesus is at work, and he wants to do it with you. And it is what you are made for. It's what you're made for. 
It's what I want for our church, and it's what I want for you, and it's what I want for me. But it starts with you deciding, I will pray even when I don't think I need it. I won't just pray for people with cancer, and I won't just pray for people who are suffering loss. I want to pray because I am dependent on God. Paul says, in him we live and move and we have our very being. You either believe that or you don't. You either think you made it on your own or you don't. And how you live tells me what you believe. You either think you got everything you got on your own or you're grateful. I've chosen, I'm going to live grateful. Every breath of air I suck is a gift, is it not? Every moment I have is a gift, isn't it? I am totally dependent. But I don't think this sermon's going to get most of us there. I think most of us are going to need to make this happen. And we need a community to make it happen. That makes prayer critical to our lives collectively, which is why we ask you every week, stop trying to do Christianity on your own. You're doing it wrong. You need a community around you so you can take it from content you consume to a life that you live and so we want to encourage you to step in community and you can go out to the next step center today and we'd love to help you take your next step but right now before we're done guess what we're going to do today since i talked about prayer we're going to pray and here's what i mean in just a moment i'm going to ask you to do something that many of you are going to hate that's okay i already know you're rebels And I want to ask you to get in groups of three or four people, and I want to ask you to share. But here's all I want to ask you to share, because we only give you a few moments. Would you all just share with other people your name? Just share your name and anything you think that you need prayer for. If you don't need anything, what I want the other people in the group to do is just note the names, and here's the commitment I want you to make. Would you pray for the other people in your group this week? Because even though you got your life together, they are falling apart. (laughs) They don't know it, but they're barely hanging on. So you get their names, and they'll have your name. In three or four minutes, y'all share each other's names, and you pray together. And so now I'm going to encourage you to do this. And if you always sit around the same people, and you already know everybody's names, that means you're going to do this wrong too. So go get with somebody else. So you can meet somebody else and you can experience this part where you pray together. So let's take a few minutes and then Jason's going to come and lead us in our time of communion.